Welcome to Cast Conversations, a monthly podcast for school leaders by school leaders. Each of our episodes will engage practitioners and thought leaders in conversations about issues, ideas, and innovations relevant to today's busy educators. Hello, everyone. My name is Rosie O'Brien Wojtek, and I'm the current president for the Connecticut Association of Schools. Today, we are at CAS headquarters in Cheshire to talk with two of the directors from the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education, also known as CABE. CABE's mission is to assist local and regional boards of education in providing high-quality public education for all Connecticut children through effective leadership. CABE represents nearly all boards of education across Connecticut. School boards are comprised of citizens, elected or appointed, who work with their superintendents to provide the best education possible in their communities. They devote countless volunteer hours to provide leadership and oversight and connect the will of the community to the education of its children. CABE does this by providing professional learning on topics important to the boards of education, policy development, and advocacy of CABE's position in all legislative and regulatory arenas. Under the leadership of CAS Executive Director Carissa Niehoff, CAS has established a strong collaborative working relationship with CABE. It's my pleasure to be able to talk with both of our special guests today. First, I would like to introduce Mr. Robert Rader, CABE Executive Director. In 1996, Bob was appointed Executive Director of the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education, CABE. He's presented numerous workshops on issues of importance to boards of education nationally and statewide and has authored hundreds of articles and been published in the CABE Journal, various national school board associations and SBA publications, and in the Connecticut Society of Associations source. He's the primary author of Leadership for State School Boards Associations, and an SBA publication. Bob is a past chairman of the National School Boards Association Liaison Committee, which represents all state associations, executive directors, and working with NSBA. He's a member of the American Society of Association Executives and is past president of the Connecticut Society of Association Executives and was the winner of its Executive of the Year Award in 2008. Welcome, Bob. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Rosie. Thank you. And I'd also like to introduce our second guest, Patrice McCarthy. Patrice is Deputy Director and General Counsel for the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education, where she served for over 30 years. Patrice has served as the Chairman of the National School Board's Council of School Attorneys, is the Secretary of the Connecticut Bar Association Education Law Executive Committee, and serves on the Labor and Employment Law Executive Committee. She's also served as president of the Connecticut chapter of the American Society for Public Administration. Patrice is an evaluator of the American International Schools Abroad for New England Association of Schools and Colleges, better known as NEASC. In 2007, she's received the Federation Member Distinguished Service Award from the National School Boards Association. She's been a frequent presenter at national, regional, and state conferences. Welcome, Patrice. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And thank you both for taking time to be with us today and to talk about the important work that you do at CABE and throughout Connecticut. So let's get started. I gave a brief introduction about CABE at the beginning of this podcast, but please share with us more about your associations. For example, what kinds of programs, services, and activities do you provide for the members? Well, I guess to start off, the biggest program we do every year is the CAVE CAPS Convention, which we do along with CAPS, the Superintendents Association, is probably the biggest educational leadership group that meets in the state. But that's only one of the things we do. We work with individual boards doing field services, 
talking to them mostly about roles and responsibilities, goal setting, and that type of thing. It's important to remember that Board of Education members are not necessarily educated in any great depth on what it takes to be a board member. So we also do orientation and other activities that are very interactive with board members. And we also, of course, serve as an advocate for boards of education at the state and federal level and help school board members develop their advocacy skills. We testify on every issue that has an impact on public schools in Connecticut. And so we you've also, been very busy this year. Uh, very busy. <laughs> we have, we're in countdown mode yeah. now towards the end of the legislative <laughs> session. Uh, we also go to Washington, D.C. every year with a group of school board members and talk to our congressional delegation about the issues before Congress. Which is very important. So how do boards of education stay current in terms of their knowledge about educational issues? Well, I hope for most of them they're reading our Cave Journal, which comes out 11 times a year and has articles on all kinds of things from the law to lobbying to best practices in many different areas. Hopefully they also attend some of the workshops we do. Under Patrice, we do advocacy workshops, including collective bargaining, legislative wrap-up, and Patrice certainly can talk more about this, but as we try to help boards learn how to advocate better for what's important in their communities and across the state. She does legislative breakfasts around the state. So there are a number of ways they can stay tuned in. Certainly anybody can go to www.cave.org to look at our website and to pull down many interesting parts of the role of a Board of Education member. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned your website because it does have a lot of resources. I know I was out there looking and I was amazed at just how comprehensive it is. So you've talked a little bit about what you're doing as far as the overall vision of training and supporting boards. But when you have a brand new, and you mentioned it earlier, a brand new board or board members, what are some of the things that you feel are really important for them to know in order to be able to do their job well? Well, I think it's critical that they understand their role as policymakers and that they understand in their own community how to help their citizens understand that role that they have because they're mm-hmm. not the people that can discipline a teacher for misconduct, that can change a bus route. But there is a common perception that once you're elected to the board, you can take those actions individually. That is certainly not true. And so helping them understand how they influence policy with their local budget being the biggest policy decision that a board makes every year is really very critical. And so we do a statewide workshop right after the local elections to help orient new school board members. And we also go out and do individual workshops for boards because anytime there's one new member on a board, even just one, that changes the whole dynamic on the board. And it's important that the board as a whole have an opportunity to sort of review what are the legal requirements, what are the expectations within the community for the board. And I would just add, one of the most important lessons we teach board members, well, there are two. Let's say this one first, and that is they have no more power than any other citizen when they're away from the table. In other words, it requires the board to be in a noticed, open meeting with the public generally for them to take any action. So they have no more power than any other citizen unless delegated so by the board, which is very rare. The other thing I would remind the public, as well as reminding the members of any board, 
is that board meetings are meetings held in public. They're not public meetings. Thus, it may seem a little difficult for a member of the community who doesn't know much about how a board operates to come to a meeting expecting answers when they speak in public session or in an open time for discussion because the board always has to get on to its business. And usually what happens in those cases is somebody gets back to the person if they ask a specific question or ask for some other information and this is done outside of a board meeting. So you've mentioned a little bit about the fiscal situations and the budget being one of the most important tasks for a board. Connecticut's current fiscal situation, as you know, is causing tremendous tension in the municipal level relative to budget development. Deep cuts to education are occurring at all levels. While we know that the Board of Education does not develop the initial proposed education budget, we do know that they work closely with the district leaders to understand the substance of the budget in order to approve a budget they believe will be supported by the municipality and ultimately be approved either by referendum or by whatever procedure is in place. What are some of the things a Board of Education considers when approving a budget that involves difficult decisions? Ideally, a Board of Education goes back to the strategic plan in the community and looks at direction from that in terms of what are the priorities. Because clearly in these challenging budget times and with the uncertainty about state funding, and cutbacks in state funding. They have to make sure that the district is fulfilling its statutory responsibilities, but also look at what would be the priorities if they could, for instance, add a program. A number of years ago, very few districts, for instance, had all-day kindergarten. Now they have made that a budget priority, so virtually every district is able to implement and maintain those programs. Districts are very concerned about the mental health services for particularly young children entering school who have experienced trauma in their lives and really enter school unable to learn until those mental health issues are addressed. So for some communities, that's a priority. So I think that process of identifying the priorities and also equally importantly, identifying areas where there can be savings. We see many boards of education working with their administration to collaborate with the municipality in terms of some back office services or collaborate with other boards of education so that they get some economies of scale. Right, because it is difficult to try to figure out. I know special ed as you know, is a place that really sucks up a lot of dollars. And sometimes you don't even realize it's coming until all of a sudden, you know, a new student moves into your district and wham. Absolutely. That's a very volatile situation. And the fact that the state government has failed to fund the special education excess cost grant at the necessary level, that grant has been capped for a number of years. And what that means is that safety net that was supposed to provide some protection to local budgets from those fluctuations in special education costs, that safety net is now full of holes. And the only place that boards of education can look to are their regular programs. So funding is one of the biggest challenges. What are some of the other challenges facing public education and boards of education presently or perhaps looking into the future? Well, we know that demography is changing and we can certainly talk about diversity and equity, but we also have to talk about the decrease in the number of students that many districts are seeing. They have to make very difficult decisions as to whether or not to close a school, 
And for many communities, that's a very, very tough decision. People feel wedded to their schools. Maybe they went to the schools themselves and their parents did and now their children are. And there's real loyalty that's built up. So that becomes a very difficult issue in almost every community. Any other issues on the horizon? Well, I, or I think that the issue of school climate, safety, and security are going to remain in the forefront. I don't see those being completely resolved, and I think it's something that districts and schools are going to have to continue to work at. Right. And so what is CABE's position on school safety and gun control? Well, we certainly are in favor of school safety, and we've talked many times across the country as well as in Connecticut about the needs on school safety. Gun control is something we really haven't gotten into until this year. For us, obviously, with Newtown having been such a big influence in the state, we've always been sort of sensitive to the need for gun control, but did not feel it was necessary for us to take a real strong position. This year, we've taken a position that other states and even Connecticut should look for sensible gun control, done in a way in which we're not getting rid of First Amendment rights, but that in a state such as Connecticut, with our red flag legislation, we know in advance when some people should not be given guns. So that is something we have talked about across the country, and it has been obviously a very important issue. I do want to say that Parkland, the situation in Parkland was very close to to me in particular because my brother lives there. So in these two different situations, Parkland and Sandy Hook, we certainly have seen some very difficult discussions And we're, frankly, very glad to see student voice becoming more important as students seem to be leading the charge on this very important area. Are you undertaking any initiatives to support districts and students in modeling civil discourse? Yes, we we definitely are. Our delegate assembly last November adopted a resolution addressing civility. It seemed that the time was right given the tenor at the national level and and to some extent at the local and state level as well to address this issue in a specific way. So the resolution calls upon school board members and other public officials to model civic discourse in their behavior and also to provide opportunities for our students to develop the skills that they will need in order to be able to listen to other viewpoints and disagree in a constructive and respectful manner. We then had our National School Boards Association adopt that same resolution at their delegate assembly. And what we're doing is we're working with several other organizations to develop a toolkit and some other resources to help school boards have these conversations within their community. Wonderful. And and we think that that's very important that the community be engaged around this issue. Right. So will those resources be out on the website? Is that how people could get hold of those? They will be. They're they're not completed yet, but Mm -hmm. they will be rolled out. We hope to do some some statewide activity, and and we also hope to include students in these activities as well. Excellent. Excellent. 
Yeah, I, I would just add that Patrice wrote a great civility resolution. Everybody passed it. We were hoping that there would be some discussion, <laughs> but people liked it so much that it was unanimously oh, wonderful, passed. Wonderful, wonderful. I think in both places, national and state. So we really hope to move forward, make Connecticut a model for this kind of information coming out. Excellent, excellent. So another issue is equity and diversity. Those are huge issues for schools and districts across Connecticut. What are some of the policies and practices districts should consider and or do you have any tools or anything that we can use to improve equity and ensure that every student has the opportunity to thrive? Funny about that, we have an equity or as we call it a diversity committee that has been looking at these issues and we were given some grants from the Nellie May Education Foundation, as well as the Graustein Memorial Fund to do some work specifically in these areas. Under the chairmanship of Don Harris, who is uh, also our first vice president, and working with Mary Broderick and John Ramos, we have just selected four districts that we're going to work with to help us develop and get a more complete toolkit that we're also going to use to help these districts as they have discussions about civility in this case, but diversity and specifically cultural competence. We realize that the student body and even the state is becoming more brown and we want to make sure that our schools are ready for this and that every student will have a great opportunity no matter what race, color, creed, etc. Right. And I would think even with a lot of students coming from Puerto Rico right now, that's changing, I think, the dynamics across school districts. Absolutely. I mean, you just have to look at the percentages. And one of the things we have been concerned about, certainly the number of teachers who are of color is a very small percentage in the state. State Department of Education has worked on that, and we continue to work on that, serving on committees and discussing it. But one of the issues that we have brought up is how few board members of color there are. And that's a concern because research has shown that if there are people of color on a school board, chances are the school board will adopt policies and there will be regulations that will be more sensitive to the needs of these students. We have raised these issues across the country as well as across the state. We're certainly not asking for anybody to get off a board just to put a person of color on, but certainly as boards look to recruit people, we want to make sure that they represent the whole community. And this is something we're going to continue to work on. Great. Along with retention, and I heard you mentioning teachers, but retention and recruitment of teachers of color and from different backgrounds. And administrators. Right. Yeah. Administrators as well. We're way off in the numbers that we have. To give you an example, as far as school board members, I think across the country there are 3% of school board members are Latino or Hispanic. Approximately 12% are Black or African American. The rest are mostly white, while at the same time the population of African Americans is probably around 12 to 15 percent and the number of Hispanic or Latino people is probably now around 25 to 30. So I think it it behooves all of us to get to know people of different cultures and how we can best teach them and encourage them to lead so in the future they will 
understand the importance of school boards, the importance of having people of color as role models for our students in particular. Absolutely. So as you said, Patrice, we're just coming off of the, or towards the end of the 2018 legislative session. By the time people hear this podcast, that will have been completed. But I'd like to ask, what were some of CAPE's highest legislative priorities this year? Well, one issue actually revolves around minority teacher recruitment and retention, and that bill hopefully will have passed by the time the regular session adjourns. And the other priority is obviously around funding, and it's possible that the legislature would have to come into special session to resolve any adjustments to the state budget. There is a budget in place because they adopted a biennial budget Mm -hmm. late in 2017. One of the real areas of concern is around the funding for TEAM. And that was eliminated from the budget. Those are the funds that support the induction program for our new educators. And the statute still requires that school districts pay the $500 stipend to each mentor teacher. However, there is now no state funding available for that. And particularly in our larger districts where there's a significant amount of turnover and therefore a significant number of new teachers every year, that has a huge fiscal impact and is really threatening the other aspects of the program. So that remains a significant priority. It's always a concern, particularly in tough budget times, to make sure that legislators understand that even a requirement that might have a minimal fiscal impact the cumulative effect of multiple new mandates is really placing a burden on school districts. Now, two years ago, we had great legislative success. We began a process where we asked the legislature to look at the professional development mandates that had built up in statute over the years, because we were hearing from administrators that they had no time to focus on the real needs of their staff, but in fact, were spending all their time covering rather mundane topics, the same ones every year, and we were able to convince the legislature through the use of a task force where we had ultimately unanimous agreement from principals, superintendents, school board members, teachers unions, and paraprofessionals that these really did need to be streamlined and the legislature enacted those changes in the 2017 session. So it's a great case study in It is possible to make a difference. Not all mandates will be there forever, but you have to come armed with the specific information about the time and the impact it's having on the needs of school districts. Right, and that's why the advocacy training that you're doing for school boards and across the state is so important. And also having partners with our other statewide organizations. And CAS has just been a terrific partner at the state level. Great, yes, and we appreciate working with you guys as well. So are there any existing board policies that may be affected by the new legislation that you can think of right now? It's a little early to tell at this point because very few bills have passed both the House and Senate at this point with nine days remaining in the session. (laughs) Hard to believe, isn't it? (laughs) So we'll see a lot happening in the next nine days or or not. not. Okay, so stay tuned and I'm sure that you will be putting out a legislative update. I think I've seen where you've got a meeting set up for school board members. We do a legislative wrap-up workshop. It'll be on May 15th. That is often 
covered by CTN, which means then that entire workshop will be archived on the CTN website. And there'll be a link on your website for people. So if yes. you miss it, you can go out and watch. Great. So I have a question. What would you consider to be the ideal type of working relationship between school leaders and their boards of education? Collaborative is the first word that comes to mind. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, respecting the different roles. So it's important for school board members to understand new initiatives that are happening in their schools. It's important that they hear from their school leaders, but it's also important that they understand that the Board of Education evaluates the superintendent, and that it's the superintendent's responsibility to evaluate and support the rest of the administrative team. So I think making sure that that distinction is there is very important and therefore allows school leaders to do their job most effectively. And certainly should be transparent. Certainly there's a superintendent sort of between in some ways the two groups, but if a district is working well together, everyone's input and help and support is needed. I totally agree. So in many ways, we've mentioned that Cass and Cabe have worked together as far as advocacy. We sit on committees. I know Chris is with you. I've sat on committees with you guys as well. Absolutely. Do you have you know, any other suggestions of projects or special partnerships that we might want to undertake or think about doing between the two organizations? Or is there a need for something that administrators might be able to pick up and champion along with you? across the state? Well, we've certainly done some professional development activities together, and I think that's very important. You know, sometimes it's a good opportunity for school leaders and board members, the policymakers, to learn together. Oh, Um, absolutely. So I think continuing to work on those areas. And then, you know, because we do have the opportunity to spend a lot of time Mm -hmm. together, we call it quality time. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes things come up that we can just resolve fairly quickly by having the leaders of the education statewide interest groups together mm-hmm. in the same room. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't really have much to add. The more we have worked with CAST, the more we've enjoyed it. And certainly, somebody told me the other day that they didn't like to go to some of the meetings that we had to go to over the years. But the best part of those meetings was the relationship between people. So I think we should certainly find ways to keep that up. And certainly we're very interested in what CAS does all the time. You are certainly leaders, and we very much like to be working with you and seeing what you're doing. Well, thank you. And that partnership is reciprocal, so Mm -hmm. thank you very much. And I don't know how many of our listeners know, but Patrice does sit on the CAS board, so we appreciate having her voice at the table as well. The last question I have is, what resources do you provide for members on your website? I know we've talked about some of them. Is there anything else that might be out there for parents or educators or business professionals, other people besides the traditional board member that people might want to go out and check out? Well, we certainly put lots of information out on our website that can be helpful to boards. We do some things that we we sometimes even enjoy doing that might not seem to be right on point. One of the things I'm going to mention is that we do book reviews, and the books very rarely have to do specifically with education, but we find ways to make them relevant. I just read the book on Leonardo da Vinci that Isaacson just put out, and there were a lot of 
lessons if you read it carefully for board members. So we like to do that. But certainly there is plenty on our website that will talk about leadership. And many of those lessons are just as important for a school leader as it is for a board member or a superintendent. So again, I'll mention the website is www.cabecabe.org, and so check those out. Anything else that you would like to add? I think on behalf of us and behalf of CABE in general, we would like to thank you for allowing and supporting Carissa as she worked more with us. She has become a wonderful friend, a very wise person, somebody we can always go to for advice, and we will miss her greatly. And we very much have appreciated her very collaborative style in working through some meetings at the state level that can sometimes not (laughs) be all that pleasant. And she always was a voice of reason, and we certainly know that she will bring that to her new role at the national level. And we look forward, of course, to working with the new executive director at CAS. Right, and so for anyone who is listening that may not have seen the announcement, Krista is moving on to Indiana. She's going to be working with NFHS, and we will maybe get to work with her on the national level. There may be people who get to go and attend conferences and things with her. So we're still hoping to stay in touch with her, but we, And we wish her well. We're going to miss her, like you said. But she's been great at bringing the organizations together because before she came, I don't think we really had that collective voice with all of us working together. So she's done a great job with that. She has. So we've had a really interesting and very informative conversation about the work that goes on behind the scenes to help boards of education develop policies, advocate for high-quality education programs in schools, and provide the professional learning and support for new and experienced board members. Although I've seen both of you in numerous (laughs) meetings over the years, I had no idea how much CABE does to support boards of education, which, as you know, makes a huge difference toward improving the quality of teaching and learning in all of Connecticut schools. I'd like to thank you both, along with everyone at CAPE, for your strong leadership. A special thanks to both of you for taking time to talk with us today during this CAST conversation. Gladly. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of CAST Conversations. This podcast is brought to you by the Connecticut Association of Schools, serving schools and their leaders since 1935.